With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Friday edition, which means we have the panel coming up at the bottom of the hour. But to start this week's edition, it is this morning's front burner from CBC News. If you work hard, if you save, your dream of having your own place should be in reach. But for too many people, it just isn't. And that's not right. This is, of course, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau in Hamilton, Ontario, this week, speaking to how so many people are being shut out of the housing market right now because of rising costs. The anger around the issue is palpable this election, so much so that when Trudeau speaks to it, it speaks back. At the same time, we'll crack down on the predatory speculators that stack the deck against you. You have six years so to do no something, more buddy. Blind bidding. You had six years no to do something. You didn't do anything. Trudeau isn't the only leader addressing unrest over housing. The Conservatives and the NDP have also announced their housing platforms, where they're actually calling housing affordability a crisis. It's time to face the facts. We have a housing crisis in Canada. And the reality is, over the past six years, things have just gotten so much worse. People cannot find a home that's in their budget. The average price of a home in Canada hit an all-time high in March at over $700,000. And since the pandemic, what used to be a problem in big cities is now a problem everywhere. I'm Jamie Poisson, and today on Front Burner, Mike Moffat will walk us through the housing platforms for all three major parties. He's a senior director at the Smart Prosperity Institute, and he advises politicians on policies just like this. And we'll ask him whether any of the party's plans will actually help housing become more affordable. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for being here to, to take part in... Um, the great Canadian pastime, I guess, of talking about house prices. Well, well, thank you for having me. So looking at the housing market right now, in, in a few words, and I know you're you're a little bit older than me, you, you have children who are a little bit older, you were able to get into the housing market and buy a house um, a while ago, but how would you feel right now if you were hoping to buy your first home for your young family? Oh, I, I think we just uh, couldn't do it. Now, I, I, I'm lucky I'm on the sort of tail end of uh, Gen X. We bought our first home in 2004 uh, when we were in our late 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a purchase price of $168,000. Uh, interest rates were a little bit higher back then, about 5% instead of about the 2 to 3 now. But we could at least afford to make a down payment. And now, if I look at that house, you know, very similar houses in London, Ontario, which the, where this house was, um, they go for about $700,000. And even with the lower mortgage rates, the monthly payments are about double. Wow. So obviously, obviously, we've got a problem. We've talked about this a lot on this show. And uh, we can talk about how effective these plans might be in a minute. But for now, if you could just give me the pitch. So what policies are on the table that are supposed to help me afford a home right now? 
So things that either allow you to pay the rent or uh, save up uh, for a down payment. So uh, the, the new Democrats are talking about uh, rent relief uh, during the COVID pandemic. So if you're having trouble paying the rent, uh, this will help you out. Uh, they're talking about extending the length of mortgages to 30 years. So if you're paying off your mortgage longer, your, your, your payments are a little bit lower, which can help. Uh, they're talking about doubling the first time home buyers tax credit, which is something to help uh, people buying their first home be able to, to uh, make that down payment. We want to tackle this housing crisis in a serious way and we want to build more affordable homes. We want to build half a million new homes that are within people's budgets within the next 10 years. We believe that there is a real choice in this election. You can choose Justin Trudeau, who's allowed the housing crisis to get worse, who's protected rich investors over you and your families, or you can choose new Democrats who are going to fight for you, who are going to tackle this housing crisis and put you and your families first. That first-time homebuyer's credit is both the New Democrats and, and the Liberals. Oh, okay, so, okay. Uh, the Liberals are talking about uh, uh, a uh, $1 billion project to help scale up what's called kind of rent-to-own projects. The idea is being like if you're renting a property, helping you go on and purchase that. They're talking about a first home savings account. So it's basically a tax-free savings account like, like the TFSA, hmm. which would help people uh, save up for their first home and reducing insurance charged on mortgages. Again, all trying to put more dollars in people's pockets so they can, uh, they can win some of these bidding wars. We'll help you buy your first home sooner. We'll get you to a down payment faster with a plan worth tens of thousands of dollars when you buy your first home and the launch of a new rent-to-own program. And what are the conservatives saying um, around this idea of, of making it easier for, for people to be able to buy a home? Yeah, and the, the conservatives are, are uh, again, focusing somewhat like the liberals on, on issues of, of mortgage insurance and actually somewhat like the NDP on the rules around a mortgage. So they're talking about changes to the mortgage stress test, making it easier for people to pass the stress test. Uh, so changes to eligibility and in insurance, creating new markets for seven and 10 year mortgages. So that's right. that's, the, that's the focus of the, the Tories. It's all sort of right. not so much giving people money, but if you change the rules you're going to allow people to uh, place larger down payments. Our plan will provide more Canadians with a path to home ownership by making it easier for more families to get a mortgage. To do so, we will develop a new market in 7 to 10 year mortgage terms to provide stability both for first time home buyers and lenders. And we'll make improvements to the mortgage stress test and mortgage insurance rules to help Canadians afford homes. Right, essentially giving them more like purchasing power, right? That's the is that the term that yeah, yeah, economists it, like it, you use yeah. <laughs> purchasing power, absolutely. Yeah. So okay, uh, because because a lot of the restrictions are are sort of regulatory. We sort of prevent uh, prevent people from placing large bids because we don't want them getting into financial trouble. Um, they're talking about okay, well, let's tweak those a little bit. You know, maybe they're a little too strict. If we loosen those, that would allow people to place larger bids. Okay. Okay. And and again, I'm, I want to come back to this, particularly what, what you think this is going to do to prices, but there's there's another kind of policy, the kind that, that actually makes more homes. And so are, are the parties also promising to increase supply here? 
They are, and they're 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 doing it in very different ways. So the idea of increasing supply is if you've got three bidders for for every home, well, one of the ways you can fix that is just having more homes uh, for people to go in. So the NDP are talking about building a half a million affordable housing units over the next ten years. They're talking about tweaking some of the the rules to make uh, affordable housing less expensive to build, changes to GST and that kind of thing. But they're really almost exclusively focused on the affordable housing side. We also want to build more affordable homes. Our plan is to build half a million new homes that are within people's budget so people can actually afford to take those next steps in their family, to grow their family, or to continue their careers and not have to worry about leaving their friends and family behind. Whereas both the liberals and conservatives also have affordable housing promises that are a little, they're, they're less aggressive. But what they are promising is to build or allow more market rate housing to, to get built. So the sort of standard, you know, every, everything from single family homes to condos to, to you name it. The conservatives are talking about changing the rules that when they give cities transit funding, that those cities better make sure that there's enough medium and high density housing along those subways and LRT routes uh, so so people can afford to live near, near transit stations. It's time to focus on transit-oriented development, ensuring that we build homes and increase density near transit. The liberals are, are doing something rather novel that they they put together this $4 billion housing accelerator fund. And the idea behind that is they're going to help uh, municipalities modernize their planning and zoning systems and the software around that uh, to basically get uh, approvals uh, sped up and get some zoning changes Normally, the federal government can't do a whole lot when it comes to municipal rules. So what the liberals are, are basically saying is, well, you know, we, we, we by ourselves can't change municipal rules, but we can put together a pot of cash to help municipalities change those rules. We're putting forward an extremely ambitious plan that is going to continue to get people not just into homes, but help them buy those homes. And that is something uh, that is a choice that Canadians get to make. Now let's talk about what you you think about all of these proposals, and, and, and let's go back to the purchasing power. So I have to say I was a little confused when I saw these platforms. Housing prices are too high, but... Some of the policies that you mentioned in that first batch are focused on empowering buyers to be able to put down higher bids. So how exactly would this make a house cheaper for somebody? Yeah, and in fact, it does exactly the opposite. And, you know, this is across the board. All Every party is... Uh, advocating these types of policies, and they have in the past, go to 2019 election, 2015 election. But what they essentially do is if you've got three bidders for every house, and we've seen stories in the media where, you know, sometimes it's 50, 60, 70 Mm -hmm. bidders for a single house, you know, you might change who wins that, right? You might change which of the, the three bidders wins those house, but it doesn't change the math that two of those other bidders are going to walk away empty handed 
And now again, you've also created the conditions that however much that winning bid would have been, it is now higher because you allow all of these bidders to place higher bids. So I understand the politics of it. I understand that, you know, it might, people might hear this and go, okay, well, that sounds like it'd be good for me. I'll, I'll vote for your party. Uh, but I think this is going to throw fuel on an already raging fire. You know, I would imagine the second batch, it's intuitive to think that it would uh, maybe throw some water on that fire, right? Like if you if you introduced more housing into the system, then all of these bidders would have more places to go. Maybe they wouldn't need to have these crazy bidding wars. But I guess my question for that is what's the likelihood that the parties can actually build houses as fast as they're saying here? Yeah, and that's that's the ultimate challenge with all of this. So the affordability policies are easy to implement, but not particularly effective. Uh, the supply policies are effective, but not particularly easy to implement. Uh, so when you look at the, the, the NDP proposal around building, building affordable housing, which will certainly help, but a lot of the issues we have around affordable, affordable housing is that a lot of affordable housing uh, money is already going unspent uh, again, because there's a lot of rules and regulations about building these kinds of properties. Uh, so it's it's great to see, you know, we need more affordable housing uh, in, in Canada. So the, the NDP are absolutely right there. It's just a, I think the question there is, OK, can can you actually take that money and get shovels in the ground? Um, so I, that's that's an open question. And that applies equally to the liberals and conservative promises on affordable housing. I think on the market right side, uh, the, the, the conservatives and liberals will be able to get a bit more done. On the conservative one, you can certainly uh, put conditions on transit funding. That is something absolutely the federal government can do. Uh, municipalities are going to be cash strapped over the next few years as we recover from COVID and taxes on real estate go down from, you know, decline in brick and mortar retail, uh, decline in commercial properties because of work from home. Our cities are going to be cash strapped and they're probably going to be willing to take this extra cash with uh, condition, uh, strings attached. The liberal one, I would say, is, is potentially really transformative, but it's also the biggest question mark because we've never done anything like this in Canada. This housing accelerator fund is particularly novel, but like any novel policy, we don't know how well it's going to work. I love I love the idea in theory. I think of all the sort of policies that have been proposed. It's the one from any party that could make the most difference. But time would have to tell what how well uh, how well this thing could work. That is part one of this morning's front burner from CBC News here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We'll have part two in a moment. You're listening to After Nine. Hi, I'm Timmy, the host of the daily feature, The Onstage Spotlight, your way of keeping informed about performers and performances happening throughout the Prince George area. I'll be highlighting artists from all musical genres, both local and from around the world. I'll be featuring not only their music, but concert details and interesting insights into the music industry. So join me weekdays at 8.30, 11.30, and 3.30, Saturdays at 9.30 and 12.30, and Sundays at 12.30. That's The Onstage Spotlight, only on CFIS FM 93.1. 
Staying hydrated during hot weather is important, especially during extreme heat. The healthiest way to stay hydrated is by making water your drink of choice. While other beverages can be loaded with calories, sodium, sugars, or saturated fats, straight water is the natural alternative to quench your thirst and rehydrate. Looking for a little flavor? Add a mix of fruit and herbs. More information on hydrating with healthy drink options is available through the Canada Food Guide at Canada.ca. The sixth annual Climb for Cancer will take place on Sunday, September 19th. This year's event will include a community barbecue and concert on the 18th. Each team will once again be assigned a time slot to help reduce the number of people climbing the cut banks at one time. All funds raised will help reach this year's goal of $50,000, with all funds going to the Cordoban Lodge. Registration and full details are available through northernlightswinery.ca. The 6th Annual Climb for Cancer, Sunday, September 19th, on the Nechaco Cutbanks. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with winds from the west at 20 and a high of 20. Partly cloudy tonight, west winds becoming light late this evening, a low of 8. For Saturday, showers beginning late in the morning with winds from the south at 20 and a high of 19. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. As promised, here is part two of this morning's front burner from CBC News. You know, e- even if, let's say, any any other of these policies work and, and they are able to really build more, do you think that that will make a big difference, though, in house prices? One reason I ask is because... Um, big immigration numbers are coming into this country in in the next several years. Like, would that actually put the kind of downward pressure on, on how, on house prices that, that we need now? Yeah. And my concern is, is it's not enough. I think it's a good start. You're right. That I I think we shouldn't underestimate the challenges ahead of us, that we have a growing population, particularly uh, in our biggest cities and not only do we do we have uh, high, higher levels of immigration, higher immigration targets, but we're also seeing over the last few years a big boom in international students. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting a lot built for them. And I think that's one thing missing from all the uh, platforms, because right now what, what's happening is there's just there's not enough student housing. So students are uh, often uh, renting renting homes, and you know, and this is causing uh, investors and speculators to buy up family housing and then rent it back to students, uh, which is which is both hurting the rental market but also hurting the home ownership market. So I would have loved to see uh, the parties address the shortages in student housing that we're having across the country. 17-year-old Dylan Bentley is among hundreds of incoming students at the University of Victoria scrambling to find a place to live. Just the whole situation is kind of kind of sucks, you know, like the, I got to figure out how to find a place off campus and, and everyone's trying to find those same places. Just this week, two... But I would say that, I, you know, I am sort of pleasantly surprised that in, in 2019, most of the policy prescriptions were all around these sort of affordability ideas, which, I, you know, clearly, I think we all know what I think about those. That, you know, yes, I don't think the parties are doing enough, but they're doing more than they were in 2019. And I, I think that's a good thing. And we shouldn't, you know, as, as critical as I can be about them, I don't think we should lose sight of that. They're moving in the right direction. And I I feel like they're finally understanding the magnitude of the problem, even if they haven't made it uh, all the way there yet. If I could uh, push back on that a little bit, I think I think some people might feel that uh, 
these governments also oversaw the this stratospheric rise in housing and did nothing. And that it's kind of over for a lot of people now. And, and I wonder what you might say to that. People who feel like it's gotten so out of control that now there will be two classes of people in this country, people who can afford homes, who have parents who have homes and can pass down that generational wealth, and people who do not. Yeah, and I, I am incredibly worried about that, that we're developing basically a, a two-class society where you have one class who can afford uh, to buy a home or even you know afford to rent a nice place because they have parental help, and another class who uh, you know don't have that parental help and are never going to be able to break into the housing market the way that I did back in, in, in 2004. So I'm very concerned about that. And I wouldn't blame any voter if they were they were sort of cranky right now at the situation and saying, like, look, this has gotten out of hand. You know, we do have sort of a classic Canadian problem here of overlapping jurisdictions where, uh, you know, some of the policies are federal. Some mm-hmm. of the policies that we need are provincial. Most of them are municipal. So it's also it's also hard to know exactly who to blame for this, and I, which also causes politicians to be able to sort of point fingers. And you know, uh, and I and I actually think that that is part of the cause of this housing crisis in the first place is that every government assumed it was some other level of government's responsibility. So nobody did enough. And we are here, unfortunately, today having to to live with this. Now, this is and has been a longstanding priority of this caucus of mayors, and it is now more than ever on the minds of Canadians with what's happening in the housing market. We need uh, the uh, the federal program that was put in, the national housing strategy, is working well. We just need the money out of the door faster. And that's why I'm here in Ottawa is to talk to uh, the housing minister, I think, right after this interview. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And I have, throughout my time as mayor, stressed the urgency of the other levels of government assisting us by investing in this type of housing to to ensure that people have stability within their own lives. You know, I, I saw you tweet the other day that you think politicians are, are sort of hosing my generation. And, you know, it, it didn't strike me that you were talking about a specific level when you tweeted that of uh, municipal, provincial or, or federal. But do you... Do you do you, do you feel that? Do you feel that way? Yeah, I absolutely do. And again, I'm going to lay this on the line. I'm Gen X. You know, to, to me, millennials are, are, are like my little brothers and little sisters, right? <laughs> so I, I, I like to pick on them like any little brother, little, you know, older brother or older sister would. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're okay with that because you guys rushed out to get the AstraZeneca vaccine. Oh, oh, oh there, there, yeah. there, there we go. Well, we, we just wanted to be noticed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I look at this and again, I think of my own circumstances when I was in my late 20s and early 30s and all the things that were available to me that are now closed off. I, I, you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, I was living in London, Ontario, and, and, you know, I had considered moving to Toronto. I didn't, but that was at least an option for me. Now, if, you know, there's all these sort of great jobs, great opportunities, you know, I want to live in go see Raptors games, what have you, but now I can't, I can't do that. So, I, I do think a lot of that falls on the feet of politicians. You know, now I'm going to play the middle child. I think there has been such a focus on the sort of uh, older generations. And, and that's, you know, they, they have their issues as well. 
But you look at the situation and just go like, how did things get this bad? You know, we're supposed, you know, we're supposed to have progress. Like things are supposed to get better over time. And I look at what's going on in the housing market and compare it to where it was 15, 20 years ago. And it has just gotten so much worse. And that's not how progress in a society is supposed to work. Every generation is supposed to be better off than the generation that came before it. I look at what's happening with millennials and I can say, no, I don't, I, I wouldn't trade places with you guys. And that's just being brutally honest. <laughs> and that's not how things are supposed to work. I'm supposed to be envious of you guys. At least, at least people are starting to talk about it. So Mike, thank you so much for this. I'm very appreciative. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, so before I let you go, some difficult news from Afghanistan. Two suicide bombers attacked the area near Kabul's airport on Thursday, shortly after gunmen opened fire on crowds there. At least 60 civilians and 12 U.S. soldiers were killed. Many more were wounded. As of Thursday evening, at least 140. An ISIS affiliate in the region claimed responsibility for the terrorist attacks. The group is a sworn enemy of the Taliban. Earlier the same day, Canadian officials confirmed that they would stop airlifting people out of Afghanistan. More than 6,000 Afghans were previously identified for resettlement in Canada, but only 3,700 Afghans and Canadians got out. Thanks for listening this week. Front Burner is brought to you by CBC News and CBC Podcasts. The show is produced this week by Simi Bassi, Imogen Burchard, Ali Janes, Katie Toth, and Derek Vanderweig. Our sound design was by Mackenzie Cameron, Austin Pomeroy, and Julia Whitman. Our music is by Joseph Shabison of Boombox Sound. The executive producer of Front Burner this week is Elaine Chow. I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. That is this morning's Front Burner from CBC News. You can also catch Front Burner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Stay tuned when After 9 returns here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We will have the Friday panel with your host this morning, Rez Krebs. On now at Two Rivers Gallery, The Wilderness of Mirrors. This stunning exhibit explores a fictional narrative located around Monument 83, a lookout point on the Canada-U.S. border. Using video, sculpture, and drawing, Keith Langergraber forms the story of a fire spotter who, isolated at his post, starts to lose his grasp on reality. Check it out this summer. The Wilderness of Mirrors, on through October 3rd at Two Rivers Gallery. Open from 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. The Canadian Red Cross is in need of volunteers. Positions are available in Prince George for the Emergency Management and Health Equipment Loan Program. Full training is provided. For full details, call 1-800-565-800, visit redcross.ca slash volunteers, or email volunteerbcy at redcross.ca. That's the Canadian Red Cross needing emergency management and health equipment loan volunteers for Prince George. Get trained, and you can help when help is most needed. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова
Support PG is celebrating its first anniversary by giving you a chance to win. Download and print the Summer Vacation Passport from supportpg.ca, then shop locally through September 28th to collect stickers. You could win one of three staycation packages from Tourism Prince George. Follow Support PG on Facebook and Instagram, or visit supportpg.ca to stay up to date. Get shopping today to increase your chances. The Support PG Passport for your summer vacation, on through September 28th from Support PG. Advocate Life Celebrate Life Gala is set for Monday, November 1st. This year's live event will feature guest speaker Dr. Anthony Lavatino. Early bird rates for table sponsors are available through Monday, but they're going quick as it shapes up to be one of their best galas yet. The Prince George venue is yet to be announced, but full details and sponsorships are available at CelebrateLifeGala.ca. Advocate Life Celebrate Life Gala, Monday, November 1st, live in Prince George. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to After 9. It's Andreas Krebs here sitting in for Nathan Gita once again. We've got our Friday political panel, Eric Allen, Art Betke, Herb Martin, Peter Ewart, and Trudy Klassen here in studio with me. Um, so as uh, we're into, what, what is this, week two? Maybe maybe the end of two weeks of, of the federal election campaign. I think it's time to talk a little bit more about gaffes, gold stars, and grenades. Steve, I think we're going to need some uh, some sound effects for that going through here. Um, so so what have we seen over the last week? I, know I was just talking with uh, some of the folks in the studio here. We're two weeks in, and I'm I'm already kind of tired of the election. Uh, so I'm wondering if you guys can can increase my interest here. If we've got what's what are we going to start with? Let's start with some gaffes this week. Maybe we'll go to Herb first. Well, uh, I, I would give uh, Jagmeet Singh both a gold star and a and a gaff uh, for uh, coming out and and telling it like it is that um, the NDP is willing to uh, work with either the Liberals or the uh, Conservatives. I don't know if Conservatives are ready to hear that. Uh, but it looks, I mean, basically the Liberals and NDP are in a statistical dead heat. And, um, uh, sorry, Liberals and Conservatives are in statistical dead heat. And, uh, really it's gonna, the NDP is gonna wield the balance of power. So, uh, I don't know if the Conservatives are ready to see, um, a minority, uh, Conservative government propped up by the NDP, but, um, it's a possibility. That's interesting. It makes for strange bedfellows. What do you think, Peter? You got another gaffe here? You're thinking about the uh, Conservatives and NDP working together? Does that give you nightmares? Uh, no, it doesn't give me uh, nightmares. Uh, I think that the the biggest gaffe that I think overrides everything, right, is the goes back to the original one that we talked about last week, and that's actually calling the election under these conditions. And it reminds me of uh, the British Prime Minister, uh, Harold Macmillan, back in the 1950s. He was asked by a reporter what the greatest difficulty was in getting a program in place and getting reelected as a politician. And he replied, he said, events, my dear boy, events. And that's what's happened. <laughs> that's what's happened with uh, Trudeau. You have this uh, Afghan crisis event that has just, you know, basically taken over everything, as well as the pandemic, the fourth wave of the pandemic. And then you have... Um, other uh, events like the forest fires. And so you have a situation whereby um, the uh, uh, events have overridden whatever plans uh, Trudeau had. And, and basically what they all, all gets back to 
is that these events underscore the fact that the Canadians did not want the election and resent having it imposed on them. And that's confirmed by polls and it's confirmed by, you know, people in the street uh, and so on. And it calls into validity the whole, uh, you know, election process. Like, elections should be an opportunity for Canadian people to, you know, discuss what's on their mind and what they need and so on. But rather, it just becomes a vanity project for Trudeau and the Liberal Party to get a majority government. And so I think um, that biggest gaffe haunts Trudeau and uh, will haunt him throughout the, this election. Yeah, it's interesting. I, the fact that they didn't change their plans, clearly they were hoping to have, you know, once the vaccine was rolled out, they were clearly hoping to have, uh, you know, ride that um, positive will, the goodwill of having, you know, vaccinated all Canadians into the election. But, you know, the, the forest fires, Afghanistan, all these, as you say, events, you'd think that they would have been smart enough to change their plans. Trudy, you got some gaffes to share here? Well, I agree uh, with the previous uh, uh, guests, and but I would say I, w- I think Trudeau is going to wish, I'm hoping that he will wish that he had walked his happy, healthy, clean, gun-free, bomb-free family around when they were walking toward Redo Hall when he called the election. I'm really hoping that he will wish that he had just turned around and not done that that day. Uh, But I think the biggest gaffe was probably uh, Christian Freeland's manipulated video, uh, which Twitter, it it was a a, sort of a a fun thing for people right of center because uh, right of center people often get caught with Twitter's rules. And this time it was actually a federal liberal that got caught manipulating a video. Um, And which, let me say, it's terrible on who, no no matter who does it. Uh, And the thing that is sort of too silly for this I mean, this week has been so heavy with Afghanistan and watching what's going on there, and, and uh, but and so we've for sort of forgotten the silly thing this week, which is the she session and a she covery. That was rather dismal, but let's not talk about that because it is too silly. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the the manipulated media was a was a low point for the liberals. Although I heard some, you know, there were some. I don't want to call them conspiracy theories, but, um, you know, they're claiming that there are Harper staffers who work at Twitter and that's why they, (laughs) right. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to leave that. I think that that was pretty bad. I mean, the, it was a clear jump cut, but still, why are you editing that together in that way? Right. It's clearly to, to, to push this agenda. Uh, Eric, let's hear from you. Okay. Well, one that we didn't mention with uh, the Liberals would be a gaffe is uh, they uh, discontinued the COVID briefings. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's information that we should be getting as soon as it's available, and we should be getting it from the horse's mouth, not from the other part of the horse. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, so we have that. And then, and then the bad news, like, um, you know, the things that are happening, like Afghanistan and the fires and, COVID in that, like, I mean, sometimes you can take a catastrophe, and if you go about it the right way and with the right leadership or something, you, you know, you come out of it looking pretty good. This is not happening here. Like, we're not looking good in uh, in Afghanistan. We're not looking good at getting those people out of there. Uh, you know, I read one article where we haven't even, although we had a lot of time to do it, we never trained our people to to fuel some of these. Uh, cargo uh, planes in the air so we couldn't even fuel our own planes in the air 
and there's a lot of other things going on there. And this is going to come out. And so the time when, uh, if uh, Trudeau wanted to show some leadership, he had those three issues that he could do something with, and he's done nothing, basically, except keep the campaign running and hoping for the best. So there's a number of gaffes there, I would say. Yeah, those are pretty tragic, actually. Uh, Art, let's let's round off the gaffes with you. Well, I've got a couple, um, and both liberals, strangely enough. Uh, women surprise, and surprise. gender equality minister Maryam Monsef has stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest by referring to the Taliban regime as our brothers. And then she wouldn't withdraw that comment, and she justified it, uh, saying it's just a cultural reference, which is really strange. I do not think there could be a wider difference between Taliban culture and Canadian culture. So don't know what she was referring to there. The other one is uh, Trudeau when he said everyone should be vaxxed, and if you're unvaxxed and go into a restaurant, you endanger the vaccinated, which is like, what? Is he saying the vaccines don't work, but you should get vaccinated because the vaccines do work? Like, it it just doesn't make sense. And uh, after being pressured for quite some time, the liberals have finally admitted that not all liberal uh, candidates are vaccinated. So that's another bad one for them. Wow, I didn't. I hadn't heard that not all liberals are vaccinated because they were pushing that pretty hard and actually asking the conservatives, right? Well, yes, yeah. but the, yeah, it was just a yeah. <laughs> it was just a I posturing. Think part of the reason for that is that they're still trying to get some people to run in some areas. So you can't vaccinate somebody if you don't know who it is. All right, yeah, that's true. Eh? Well, there's a lot of right-in candidates, so clearly. There's one more. You got gaff. another gaffe for us, yes, Trudy? Yes, the, the NDP actually had one. Um, uh, Jagmeet Singh got a lot of credit for doing a really great uh, visit to the Kawasis Nation, um, but then and and it was really well received. And then he released a photo of himself and his wife at the gravesite, and it's like, oh, you know, you lost all that goodwill. Um, it would just seen as a photo op and so a photo at a, a residential <laughs> school gravesite. Yes, at the Kawasis wow. re, uh, Residential School in Saskatchewan. Yeah, so he he had initially done well, and then. It, sort of de- deteriorated and then a green gaff is oh, where we're talking about the green party yeah, now there's a you, surprise well, well my, <laughs> my the green gaff is which greens right yeah yeah i mean i guess we could we could ask the uh canadian media that question where is the green coverage because we only hear about their their infighting i guess but it's true. There's, you know, where are we seeing greens? We'll, we'll be seeing more, I think, here in Prince George. We've got a couple of green candidates coming through. But uh, it's time for a break. We'll be back soon. This October, BC Schizophrenia Society members have the opportunity to virtually sit down with Dr. Mahesh Manon to learn more about cognitive remediation therapy in BC. Working with world-class experts in CRT, Dr. Manon is part of the working group bringing cognitive remediation therapy to BC. Become a member of the Schizophrenia Society today so you can take part and add your voice to build a better world for people living with serious mental illness. BC Schizophrenia Society memberships are available 
at bcss.org slash membership. The Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation is currently raising funds to purchase an echo ultrasound for St. John Hospital in Vanderhoof. The addition of an echo ultrasound will enhance cardiac care in the Almanica region. The Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation has been helping to bring the very best of care to patients throughout northern BC for 30 years. Donations for this latest project can be made at the Vanderhoof branch of Integris Credit Union and online by searching for Spirit of the North at CanadaHelps.org. In support of the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation, the Coast Prince George Hotel's annual Wine Lovers Evening is set for September 24th. The much-anticipated event will take guests on a culinary tour of the Americas, showcasing various wines of different regions. Tickets are on sale now and are expected to go quickly. The Coast Prince George Hotel's annual Wine Lovers Evening, Saturday, September 24th. Tickets available at the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation office or at the Coast Prince George Hotel front desk. Forecast from Environment Canada, cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with winds from the west at 20 and a high of 20. Partly cloudy tonight, west winds becoming light late this evening, a low of 8. For Saturday, showers beginning late in the morning with winds from the south at 20 and a high of 19. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So we've talked a little bit about gaffes. Who are you going to give gold stars to this week? We we had uh, last week we had a runaway uh, win from by the conservatives. I think it was three gold stars for uh, for Aaron O'Toole and one each for the other party leaders, uh, ex- excluding um, the Green Party leader. And we also had James Steedle, our very own Prince George guy, who who got a gold star last week. Uh, so this week, who are we going to give gold stars to? Let's start with uh, Trudy, sitting right here in the studio. Ah, well, I think I gave a gold star to Anime last week. Oh, that that's, you didn't oh that's right. Okay. Yeah, and so my gold star was for her for not having quit. She's, uh, I, you know, I don't agree with, with her uh, policy, all of it, but um, I really admire the fact that she hasn't quit. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's true. Quite difficult right now. All right, Eric, you got a gold star? Uh, well, not really. I don't think uh, <laughs> I, we can sort of. I guess you know, if we look at the uh, the uh, increase in the uh, uh, conservative popular vote at the polls or whatever, it looks like they're they're going to momentum and actually, you know, make a hell of a lot more headway. And I thought they would with uh, Mr. O'Toole. I'll have to say that. I'll have to give him a gold star that he's doing better than I thought he did. He would. Okay. And what do you, what do you think? Why do you think he's doing better? Is there anything specific that he's doing, or is it just the fact that he's got a kind of a weak uh, opponent? Well, certainly, uh, and I would go so far as to say all the opponents are weak. Uh, it's not a very exciting uh, election. But, <clears throat> yeah, I think he's getting better press coverage. He's getting some of the issues out there that even, you know, if you don't agree with it, at least, you know, you go so far as to read it and see what he has to say about it, whereas in the beginning, he just didn't want to be bothered. Uh, he doesn't have to go far. I guess the way to put it, he doesn't have to go far to make a difference. You know, if he can get to the point that you go back into government with the same or very little different than you have now, that gives him another another day to, to sort of get back in and free. And where this is going to come from, I don't know. It's uh, There is that NDP thing, which I think is kind of off the wall. I can't see that happening. But, you know, between the NDP and the bloc and the conservatives, they could form the next government. The liberals could be out in the, in the left field there somewhere. Yeah, that would be super interesting. Would be really strange bedfellows. Art, you got a gold star for us? 
No, I don't think anybody's doing anything specifically uh, terrific. Uh, it seems kind of uh, uh, mm, lowest common denominator type of thing. Uh, nobody wants to buck the trend. Nobody wants to be politically incorrect. Uh, so it, it's really, I don't see anything really inspiring out there. As long as they're not screwing up, they're still succeeding. Yeah, <laughs> That's about it, yeah. Herb, you got one for us? Yeah, I think O'Toole deserves a gold star just for keeping his head low. Yeah, and and not getting uh, and basically letting everyone else make mistakes. Um, he's he's almost sounding like uh, like Ed Broadbent in some respects, um, talking about um, uh, GST holiday to boost retail consumption, uh, a scheme to cover twenty five percent of the salaries of new hires, uh, more money for Canada's uh, healthcare system, uh, including mental health. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, if he came in, if he was elected originally as conservative leader because he was uh, a blue conservative, he's really turned uh, quite red. And uh, but I think it's uh, it's going over well. He's uh, he's got it so that the NDP are, are, are talking that they could work with him. So um, yeah, you know, kudos for him. Uh, but the uh, yeah, the election is still in its early days. Yeah, kind of bizarro world uh, conservative policies there. Hey, that's we were talking about that last week. With everyone was giving money away in their platforms, kind of interesting. Peter, you got one? Uh, yeah, uh, Jagmeet Singh calling for all new seniors' homes to be public or nonprofit. I think that's important because research has shown that the nonprofit uh, public uh, care homes uh, spend more time, effort, direct care, funds, and so on on senior care rather than the, the for-profit companies which don't spend as much time, effort, and so on. And there's better outcomes, I think, uh, in the uh, public and non-profit sector. So uh, I think that's, a, that's a important, right, that these new senior homes uh, have that uh, uh, quality. But uh, uh, I would add others, a couple of other things. I think it's really important that the regulated care for all care homes. Uh, that's what came out of all the scandals and things like this took place was that uh, regulations weren't being upheld right in uh, in a, a variety of the care homes. So, so that's important that they stay in place. And the other thing I would add I think is important is that there should be mechanisms to ensure that families and staff have a say as to what's going on in the care homes, that they have a voice, you know, because that was what one of the tragedies there of uh, all these things that were happening in these care homes with these outbreaks of COVID was that the, the, the families and friends and so on were uh, locked out, basically, and uh, had no say, And uh, even though they knew that all kinds of problems were happening. So uh, I think that's something I, I'm not sure which or any of the parties have latched onto that, but I think that's an important aspect as well. That's an excellent point, actually. It's, it's always a pleasant surprise when there is an evidence-based policy uh, proposal put into people's platforms. So uh, we'll just round it out. I, I know that there was uh, not everyone got a gold star, not everyone gave a gold star, but do, does anyone else have any other gold stars they'd like to award this uh, this Friday? Trudy, I see you looking at your phone. Uh, yes, I, I did keep notes. Um, I would say that the Conservatives get a gold star for their child care uh, uh, funding proposal uh, because I really like that. I really, I strongly dislike anything that left of centre policy uh, parties have been proposing for child care funding because I think it's too much one size fits all 
fam- Canadian families are diverse. They have varying needs. We have special needs um, families who they don't fit into the uh, into the, the the model that the governments usually push out. We have families that are on shift work, and so I think that their plan, which puts six thousand dollars into the pocket of families earning less than thirty thousand for childcare, is significant. And it's I think it's they really went the right direction with that. Okay, so anyone else have a goal, sir, to add? Because otherwise, we'll do our total here. We, we're, we're sitting at uh, another three stars for O'Toole. He's taking this race, uh, in this, in, in, at least amongst this group. One more for Anime, so she's sitting at two, and Singh has one for himself. So, unfortunately, uh, Trudeau and James Steele are both uh, sitting at the bottom of the pack right now. Um, so, actually, why don't we take our break, and then we'll get back to some... Uh, some of the the punches that landed this week and and hopefully we'll have some time to finish off with a discussion about the tragedy in Afghanistan. Prince George City Council is continuing to pursue options to address the encampments in Prince George in ways that protect the health and safety of everyone. To this end, the city is seeking a court injunction to remove the encampments, which are known to be dangerous and unhealthy. This process is expected to take a few months. In the meantime, Council continues to work with partners, including the province of B.C., Northern Health, B.C. Housing, and Indigenous organizations to address the issue. Every not-for-profit board of directors needs to know how to effectively set their executive director up for success. On September 28th, Vantage Point's Supporting Your Executive Director workshop will explore performance management and creating a strong relationship between the ED and the board. The half-day workshop looks at clarity around expectations and evaluation processes, meaningful feedback and support, and creating an overall healthier work environment. Support your executive director, September 28th from 5.30 to 8.30 via Zoom. For more information or to register, visit thevantagepoint.ca. Prince George is home to a two-day country music festival September 10th and 11th, and your ticket purchase will help the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation. Eight great artists will be on stage over two days with a portion of every ticket sold going to the Spirit of the North with support from UNBC's JDC West team. Purchase your ticket today and you could win a meet and greet with an artist of your choice. It's the best damn music festival September 10th and 11th at the Exhibition Grounds. Tickets available at ticketsnorth.ca. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is offering their Healthy Leader Training Sessions for the Northwest Northeast Region, September 27th and 28th. Being offered via Zoom, the sessions will be filled with learning, movement and laughter and are open to all community members who want to deliver an Indigenous Run, Walk or Honor Your Health Challenge program. Registration and full details are available through ispark.ca. The iSpark Healthy Leader Training Sessions for the Northwest Northeast, September 27th and 28th via Zoom. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, Eric, for, for this last week, who really landed a punch for you? Who threw a grenade uh, that, that really got a good zinger in? No, I guess I can't up with anything really no, it's just depressing for you eh? there's nothing yeah, really just, happening just sitting here thinking like these this whole election thing is you know like given the, I mean, we have child care that's fine and we have uh, now they want to have 10 days sick pay for federal employees and minimum wage for certain employees and, you know i i never try to put a number a total number on it all but uh, we're talking big dollars here 
And people are throwing money around like it's going out of style. Like, can we pay for all this? <laughs> you know, really, it's just, I mean, we know what happens. I mean, if the federal people get 10-day sick pay, then everybody else wants it. And I've had experience over the years with sick pay, and as a general rule, if you have a sick pay program, people mysteriously seem to get sick more often. <laughs> It's usually on a Monday or a Friday. <laughs> so this could cost us a, a lot of money for nothing. And even at one time, you could have accumulated, uh, you could accumulate your sick days and get paid out at the end of the year. So I don't know if you want to go down that road again or not. Okay, so it's just depressing from Eric. <laughs> We're going to art next. You have something? You have something for us? Something that really uh, stood out for you this week? No, there's nothing. I, I see the liberals are attempting a grenade, but it seems to be a dud. You know, they're trying their best to nail the cons with the abortion issue again. That's worked so well for them in the past, but it doesn't seem to be getting any traction because O'Toole took the wind out of that sail uh, a while ago. So, yeah, you know. and actually the the. Uh, the for-profit health care <laughs> was supposed to be a grenade, too, I guess. That ended up being yeah. a dud because it was all tag-manipulated media. Herb, you got any grenades for us? Well, it was sort of a, probably a dud on the on, the, on the Trudeau's part. But so he started talking about something interesting. He started talking about increasing corporate taxes on the banks. And it was, um, um, you know, it's something that uh, people are really, we're going to have to start looking at uh, seriously after World War II. The corporate tax rate was over 50% in Canada, and we paid off the massive uh, World War II um, um, debt uh, by 1957, I think. So um, that's that's we're, we're going to have to go that way, or it's going to be personal taxes. And uh, but Trudeau made a sort of a weak sauce uh, attempt uh, and said that he'd increase the bank's uh, corporate tax rate from 10 to 15 percent. So. Yeah, I just, I actually, I ran the numbers on that. It was interesting. So, you know, uh, if you increase it by that 3%, um, I think it was 15 to 18 for just for financial institutions, over a billion dollars, right? So I just took up RBC. RBC had something between 12 and $13 billion in profit, I believe, in 2019. Um, and so that would mean another $360 million in the, in the, in the coffers for the, uh, for the country, it's an interesting proposal, but as you mentioned, it's it's a little bit it's kind of weak sauce, right? It's not a it's not a huge amount of money, even if, if we're talking about uh, just ridiculous numbers of profits for these financial institutions. And doesn't that money then come out of pensions? This is profit, right? Talking Which about is like, paid out in it's paid out dividends. It's paid out in pension right? plans, right? Well, uh, a significant portion of it, I think. All right, Trudy, you got a gold? We got a grenade. Huh, well, Monsef on herself. <laughs> but I don't think she's dying yet, so um but I think that was but I think the the real grenade was launched by Sahara Sultani, who is an Afghanistan reporter, who challenged Monsef's uh, brother brother's comment and just basically blasted her for how dare you say that. Um and then I think the other one uh was O'Toole's video after the Kabul Kabul explosions. Um Trudeau posted a selfie video pushing the idea that O'Toole was in favor of uh, getting rid of public, publicly funded health care, which he knows isn't true. And O'Toole posted a video of himself talking very eloquently about what to do next after um, after the pullout of Afghanistan. Right. And he did a really good job of that, and it looked, uh, he got a lot of kudos for that online. 
Okay, Peter, what do you, do you have a grenade for us? Uh, yeah, like uh, I'm going to bring up, um, you know, the whole question like of small parties. Uh, you know, they, they often get uh, left out of the picture, or whatever, but they often have some good ideas and good observations. And uh, here's one from the Marxist-Leninist Party of Canada, which called the election as a serious, irresponsible COVID election. And what they did was they drew attention to the whole question, like of all the pressure that's been put on Elections Canada. You know, where you have 338 ridings in Canada, and you have to hire, they have to hire over 250,000 election workers uh, in uh, less than 30 days' time. And Elections Canada cautioned before about having an election dur during the conditions of the pandemic. And it's compounded by the problem that you have, um, uh, you know, that traditionally seniors uh, often, you know, function as staff members, but because of uh, COVID and all this, many are going to sit out. And likewise, parents and students uh, are going to be prepared with preparing for school, and uh, a lot of them are going to sit out. You know, and uh, even Elections Canada pushed for, uh, you know, the, instead of having a 12-hour day, have an election over a two-day period rather than, uh, you know, sort of inflicting everybody with having to wear a mask for 12 hours. But that was refused, of course. So... Uh, and then there's the problem, the whole rigmarole with mail-in ballots. It's, it's more involved than uh, it may seem in terms of the procedures that you have to go through to get the mail-in ballot and, and, and so on. So there's a whole bunch of problems being uh, imposed on uh, Elections Canada. And, um, you know, why this is important is that this could be a closely fought election in various writings. And so, the uh, you know, the whole electoral process has to be... Uh, in good shape, you know, to make sure that we don't get into any kind of disputed elections, right? Yeah, those are excellent points, and I think I'm going to give you a gold star for being the first to bring up Marxist-Leninists, but they actually had a, that's a that's a good point, actually, on their part, and considering their, their background, they're, they're fighting Mar for the workers, right? Well, yes, but Marxist-Leninists are not really great on elections. Not really. <laughs> Peter still gets a gold star. Okay, Herb, you, you got the final word on grenades here. Uh, I guess this, uh, the Afghanistan thing has just been a total uh, debacle for, for Trudeau. I mean, he promised to take out 20,000 Afghans, and he's managed, uh, I think, 2,500. So, um, you know, I think uh, one thing we have to start looking at is post-pullout, I guess, and... and start having a look at, at people making individual contributions. There's um, uh, Madre.org is something to look at. They've, they're funding um, evacuations for Afghan women especially. And um, there's, there's other charitable organizations there. The, the military option has been a huge failure when it comes to Afghanistan, and I think uh, individuals have to take up the slack. Wow. So you're, it's, how do you spell Madre.org? Do you have a spelling? Uh, Madre, M-A-D-R-E dot org. Okay, so you're, I mean, that's, it's, it's a, it's a sad day, I guess, when, when us as individual citizens are expected to kind of help people who our government has put in harm's way. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have time to continue a discussion about Afghanistan, but we all, I think we all agree that it's a tragedy that's happening over there, uh, and, 
you know, the the article that I read recently was despite the, you know, F, the new um, Taliban government's claims about women's rights that uh, female journalists and, and translators were already being targeted uh, door to door. Thanks, everyone, for uh, for coming on today. And thanks, everyone at home, for listening. That's After 9 for uh, Friday, August 27th. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is Community Radio 93.7.